This episode is brought to you by our friends at Unibuddy. Unibuddy is a student engagement platform that helps higher education recruitment, marketing, and admissions professionals attract, engage, and convert prospective students. Unibuddy helps students make one of the most important purchasing decisions of their entire life, and that decision is where to go to college. One of the ways they do this is by giving prospects real-time access to real people at your university. Here's how it works. A prospective student named Sam stumbles upon your school's business major website page, and he starts reading about your program offering. After a few seconds, a warm pop-up form invites Sam to chat with student ambassador Dan, who, you guessed it, is currently studying business at your university. After some quick niceties, Sam admits he's been looking at your school for some time now, but has yet to submit a formal inquiry or start an application. He's been to a couple of virtual recruitment events, but it's been hard to get a real feel for what life as a student, especially during these times, is actually like. Dan talks about his love of the entrepreneurship course he's taking, how challenging but rewarding Accounting 101 is, and how impressed he's been with your school's response to the challenges that COVID has thrown everyone's way. After 15 minutes of chatting with Dan, Sam books a chat with one of your admissions counselors for next week, and then he goes on to create an application account. This experience is so much more powerful than a static chat window or a scripted chatbot. Unibuddy empowers people to make better decisions through shared human experience. Oh, and by the way, this peer-to-peer engagement platform, it's just one of Unibuddy's product offerings. Wait until you see their virtual events platform. It's totally game-changing. Don't get stuck in a prospective student's college shopping cart. Make the experience of accessing personalized peer-to-peer feedback as frictionless as possible. To learn more about Unibuddy and access a plethora of free resources to help you navigate student recruitment this year, head on over to enrollify.org forward slash Unibuddy, and we'll ping you directly to Unibuddy's Learning Hub. All right, Nina, we're live. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Zach, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Much better than last week. We were just uh, commiserating uh, before we uh, hit record here about how crazy last week was, where we were originally supposed to record this episode about a week ago, but um, hey, I'm glad we I'm glad we moved it. I feel I feel like much lighter. I feel like my head is in like a better space, so I'm excited. That's a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm super excited for for this chat. Um, you all at Unibody have done a, a ton of work for for years. Actually, I, I've been connected with you guys for at least the past two and a half three years, and I'm always uh, impressed by the content that you all put out the surveys, the analysis, uh, you also just, you guys have a, a team that's like very active on social. That's like really good at like putting out, uh, like just thought leadership on their like personal LinkedIn's and, and Twitter's. So I, I feel like I, I like know the Unibuddy community really well, even though like I have only like seen these people on social, like I, it's rare that I've actually talked with them in this context. So I'm just excited to learn more about you and the team at Unibuddy. And then of course, more of the, the work that you all are up to. Well, that's a lovely compliment. I'll pass it on to the team. Um, you know, that's what we're going for is making sure that we're helping administrators uh, with whatever content that we're creating that that just helps them tackle the challenges today. And there are a lot, as we'll discuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one of the things that's fun about hosting a podcast is you get like 
you get a lot of people that not a lot you get people that you know do write in and they'll say hey like loved when you talked about this or you know every once in a while you get like a long email with somebody saying like I can't believe you talked about that. You have no idea what you're talking about. So I, I have made the mistake in recent episodes of, of maybe talking about some things that I probably, I just don't know as much about. And I, and I have a, as my wife says, sometimes I confidently say things, even though like, I don't know much about it. I just feel passionate about it. Right. Uh, so. Oh, I totally know that. I have an eight-year-old daughter that sounds a lot like that. <laughs> hey, I've been compared to an eight-year-old before, so we we will we'll see. But but yeah, uh, in, in all seriousness, there's a there's a lot of challenges happening right now. A lot, you know, higher. I would say it's just under a lot of like there's a lot of like heaviness, right? So my hope over the next several episodes that we're doing is that. We can like, you know, give people a little bit of a rest. We can get people excited again about the work that is important that we are doing. And we can talk a lot about community and community marketing and how that's really revolutionizing the way that administrators think about recruiting students and the way in which students think about, you know, their education. So I'm um, I'm just excited to, to dive in here. I thought it would be fun to just kick us off with a, a fun, simple question to let the listeners get to know you a little bit better. What's something, uh, something that's not rather on your LinkedIn profile, Nina, that you're especially proud of? So like a project or like a professional feat or something that's happened, but it, you know, hasn't made it onto your LinkedIn profile. Well, I feel like the cliched answer is your children, uh, and I'm definitely <laughs> proud of my children, but I won't go there. Let's see, I'll go with something a little bit personal, if that's okay. Please. You know, uh, I find during the pandemic, uh, everybody got to find kind of their hidden talents. And while I wouldn't call it a talent, I took up running. Oh. Well, I'm not sure if I'd call it running. It's probably a very fast walk to slow jog. But, um, and the reason that I'm really proud of it is that when I was born, I was born with a bilateral club foot. And so my feet were turned like 135 degrees inside. Wow. And had tons of surgeries to be able to correct them. And, you know, while I could finally walk, which was great, uh, running was not going to be in my future. Um, but, you know, as the pandemic did for many of us, I was, I found myself like mentally exhausted, but physically had a lot of extra energy to burn. So one day I just like, you know, ran out of the house one day in May, 2020, and just <laughs> kept running and realized, Hey, I actually really enjoy this. Um, and it was a great outlet for me. Um, and now I try to do it at least once or twice a week as just kind of a great way to kind of do a moving meditation of sorts. Wow. Wow. That is, that is fantastic. If you don't mind me asking, is it, is this like a, like, I, is this a genetic thing or is it pretty, is it, pre, it it's gotta be pretty rare at least today, right? Yeah, it's actually pretty common uh, in sort of less severe cases. Mine was so severe that it required surgery. Wow. Um, I'm a twin, so I have a twin brother. So I like to conveniently blame him for <laughs> not enough room in the womb. But uh, in reality, it's congenital. Um, it can be passed on. Um, you know, luckily my kids don't have it. But yeah, it was definitely something that I and my parents had to go through together. Uh, and what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. What a cool opportunity to like in in you know one of the darkest times in, in recent history that at least, you know, North America has seen, if not the world, how cool was it to, to have you kind of like take that opportunity and do something that seemed impossible or that it would never happen before? Like talk about like a little light amidst a dark time. 
I totally agree. I mean, it's important to be reminded regularly that we can learn new things. And that was what running actually taught me. So then that led us to all learn how to ski in my house and then learn how to skate because we live up here in Canada and skating is like walking up here. So, <laughs> so we just, you know, it, it reminds you that you can do hard things and mm. you can learn new things. Um, and all of us in education can definitely appreciate that. So many cool analogies that you can draw from that. So I want to hear a little bit about the story behind how you became CMO at Unibuddy. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, are you Unibuddy's first CMO? I am, I believe. I, I yeah. think so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I've had the, the privilege of speaking with and interviewing uh, Diego a, a while ago um, on a couple of other podcasts of ours. So I know a little bit about the you know founding story. Folks kind of tuning in might know a little bit, but yeah, share. I, I just want to hear a little bit about you and like how you came to the company. Um, and then if you want to just give a quick brief overview of Unibuddy along the way, I think that that would be helpful as well. Absolutely. So um, by background, I'm a strategist. So I started off in management consulting after I graduated from undergrad, moved to the world of corporate strategy, kind of at large companies, um, namely HP. And then while I was at HP, um, found myself putting up my hand to help with our emerging market strategy for education. Ah. It was a vertical that in emerging markets, tons of money was being poured in by ministries of education to uh, improve their infrastructure uh, and, and really be able to leapfrog uh, in terms of their competitiveness at, a, at an international level. So, and, but we didn't have an education strategy at HP, uh, at least for those markets. And so I naively put up my hand and said, hey, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy to work on this. And uh, it turns out I fell in love with education mm. uh, and so made the decision to actually leave HP where education was one of many verticals that, of course, uh, a company as large as they are covers and made the decision to enter the world of, of education technology. Huh. I joined Pearson, um, okay. the largest education company in the world, uh, to work on product strategy, got to do a little bit of product marketing, product uh, management, business development, um, and really learned a lot there from industry veterans who have been in the publishing world and no instructors, no faculty, no students, no institutions inside out. Um, so learned a ton there. Um, when I moved to Canada shortly thereafter, uh, joined a disruptor startup in the publishing space called Top Hat. Ah. Um, lead their product marketing organization and, you know, joined the executive team a couple of years later and had a great ride. And that was sort of my first foray into uh, the world of startups, which, uh, you know, got the itch and, and never stopped. It, it's just been so fun to work at smaller companies that, um, you know, where you can have an impact immediately um, and see kind of the fruits of your labor a lot faster than at larger corporations um, and, and the scale and the pace of change. And um, so was at Top Hat for about five years. Very happy there. Um, I guess, you know, I've been in in higher ed technology for about 10 years, uh, mostly on the teaching and learning side. Okay. So when Unibuddy came knocking, the opportunity to stay in the world of ed tech, but kind of focus on a different part of the value chain, kind of pre-admission focused on recruitment, admissions, helping students find that best fit school for them, the mission really spoke to me. And um, so the mission is what inspired me, but I will say the executive team, including Diego, who you just mentioned, uh, were what sealed the deal. Mm. Uh, 
and just the opportunity to work with uh, that team. And then the culture is just really, really strong. No ego focused on the mission, very international, which is a lot of fun as well, like our client base. And, you know, the market opportunity is strong. And this is an area that, as you well know, uh, in terms of recruitment, admissions, enrollment is changing day in and day out. Um, but the opportunity to help you know students make life's first crucial decision is is really compelling, right? Yeah. Um, and at least you know knowing that I have my kids, my eight year old and six year old, that'll start thinking about this in eight to ten years. Uh, it's got to be better than than what we offer students today uh, by that time. So I uh, just want to be a part of that. Yeah, Unibuddy in terms of uh, what we do. So as I mentioned, our mission is to ensure that students never feel like they have to make life's first crucial decision alone. Hmm. And we believe that decisions are made better together. So Unibuddy is actually um, a peer-to-peer platform that allows prospective students to be able to connect with not only current students, but faculty, staff, even alumni, in order to inform their admissions journey and Mm. be able to really get that authentic feel about an institution. Um, It's easy enough for an uh, administrator, a recruiter to connect a student one-to-one and help make that connection. But when you're trying to set up hundreds, if not thousands of students uh, with the opportunity to get that authentic connection and get that authentic feel, it becomes challenging. And so our technology allows institutions to be able to do that at scale. Wow. So, so well said. So well packaged there. Um, it's almost like you rehearsed that, Nina, or something like that. It was, it was, <laughs> almost it was, like I'm a marketer. It's almost like you're a marketer. You know you know, positioning and, and value prop, right? Uh, no, that was great. Uh, well, appreciate that. And, and that, yeah, how cool. Um, how cool it is to kind of have seen a, a few different uh, ex- experiences of like what people who are on the bleeding edge of education technology are working through the, the you know challenges and problems that they're interested in solving at Pearson and Top Hat, both of which are incredible companies, incredible organizations. I actually remember, I remember using Top Hat. I'm, it must've been like later, but my, my, I had faculty members in, in school in, in uh, when I was, it must've been my junior and senior year of college. And we were using Top Hat for like several courses. Um, and I just remember thinking, this is super, this is super awesome. This is super fun. Um, the, the, it was also the marketing faculty that used Top Hat. Um, they were they were like the most progressive of of faculty members. So um, so that was great, but very well, very cool. Say, you know, the thread that connects Top Hat and and I mean Pearson to some extent, but certainly Top Hat and what we're doing at Unibuddy is engagement, mm, right? Yeah, um, engagement is what matters as a marketer. Engagement is what matters in order to make sure that your education experience is everything that it could be. And it's fun to just be looking at engagement from a another angle which is from the first time you start exploring that that really big first decision you have to make hey everybody zach from enrollify here you know that feeling you get when your boss tells you to go find a new crm or when you're tasked with finding a handful of digital agencies to respond to your rfp it's exciting but it's also a little overwhelming where do you start how do you know what software or service provider is the best fit for your school's unique context Well, that's why the Enrollify team built Chatter, a feedback platform built to help higher ed marketing and admissions teams find the software, services, and resources that they need for success. Chatter is your one-stop shop for reviews on CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, online program managers, branding agencies, higher education associations, professional development resources, and much, much more. 
Our goal is to equip you with the information that you need to make the right purchasing decision for your team. Get started by reading reviews and writing one of your own, and then invite your colleagues to do the same. Click the link in the show notes below or head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter. Chatter, it's where great decisions start. I love this idea and I've heard you guys use this before, so um, I'm sure it's kind of a, a big kind of core value, but this idea that this college is like that first really big decision that a young person makes, at least most young people, most young people don't have a lot of say over like where they go to elementary school or middle school or high school. And, you know, even if they have some say, it's usually the parents at the end of the day that are making a decision. College for many people is is that first opportunity to make a really, really big decision. And I, I think about like my own journey a lot and like how I didn't know what I, like the idea, like when I found out what college costs, for instance, like I didn't even like have a category for like how people even made that much money. You know, I was like, wait, what? It, that's per year. And it was just like such a jarring uh, experience. And I know I'm not alone in that. And so it's, it's, it has been cool. I've got a younger sister who's uh, she's 17 and she's going through the college admissions process right now. And even like, so we're 11 years apart and just see in that time, just seeing how different her experience is like her, she, they've got like a, te- she's got like a text group chat with like her friends and they're all constantly together talking about, Hey, did you see, have you checked out this school? Like, Hey, have you looked at like, Oh wow, this application, you know, there's a scholarship here. There's, you know, and I'm like, I was like, Abby, like, you guys should just like talk about this together. Like you guys are like kind of applying to college together in a sense. And she's like, yeah. And like my friend, like we, I don't know, we just didn't do that. Like it was so, it was so different even like, you know, a a decade ago. And now it's just so much, it seems to be anyways, a much more communal process. The the power of connectedness that has evolved over the last decade, as you say, allows you to be able to give that power to the peers. And say power to the peers, that's actually one of the values we uphold Anybody as a as a culture, like a company culture, um, but your your peers are your go to in a way that you couldn't scale without technology, without those tools that could help bring that community together. It's amazing. I yeah. mean, you're making better decisions for it, so why not? Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I love this. I could, I could geek out about this all day. Um, what one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on on the podcast and. Again, we're going to spend a few episodes together, which will be a lot of fun. As you guys recently, over the past several months, have put out two pretty remarkable reports. Um, and I want to talk about, we'll talk about both of them. Today, I really want to spend time talking about the Student Pulse report that you all recently released. Um, you interviewed, I think, over 1,200, close to 1,300 students responded to this report, just kind of talking about what they thought about their college journey, right? The, their journey to school. Um, and so again, we're going to unpack this report and also the on the opposite side of the house, the administrators report and how college um, uh, um, admissions folks and marketers are thinking about recruiting next generations of students. And we're going to ha- just have a lot of fun along the way. So I thought it would be helpful um, to kind of kick us off by having you spend just a couple minutes sharing some some broad strokes about each of the reports, each each of the surveys really that you all designed, just so we understand kind of the context surrounding it. And then again, we'll, we'll uh, spend a good amount of time today diving into that, that first uh, student pulse report. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I was really excited when we joined to be able to kind of bring our original research to the forefront. So the goal of this two-part pulse survey was to really get a pulse on the rapidly changing landscape in higher ed recruitment, admissions, enrollment, marketing. We wanted to look for similarities, disparities between admin perceptions, uh, student sentiment to really help higher ed teams like achieve their goals, you yeah. know, and get that additional insight. So uh, we did get about 900 responses from the higher ed administrator survey. And, you know, the, the insights, and we'll talk about those in a lot of depth, but really, you know, administrators are acknowledging that they don't fully have a grasp on the evolving expectations of Gen Z. I mean, mm. who does changing so quickly? And so understanding their attitudes, their motivations, their behaviors. I mean, every time that topic comes up at a conference that you and I are at, that that is the well-attended session, <laughs> right? In terms of, yes, please tell me what's on their hearts and minds and how do we communicate with them effectively as it evolves over time. Um, we really wanted to understand from administrators how they're leveraging their student voice in mm. their marketing, um, knowing that that brings the authenticity that Gen Z is looking for. Um, and, you know, institutions are always looking for ways to stay ahead of the competition, uh, both inside higher ed, but now with those challenger educators that have come about, you know, through alternative paths to career success. So that came up as both a concern as well as an opportunity uh, in order for traditional higher education institutions to set themselves apart. Um, and then the student survey was responded to by over 1,200 students, as you mentioned. Um, you know, unsurprisingly, authenticity and personalization yeah. for the generation that gets everything in a personalized way were, were the key to winning their, their attention. Um, they know what they're looking for. They have a hierarchy of needs that they want to have met. Um, and they'll quickly move on to the next option if they don't find what they're looking for. Um, and then finally, they really, you know, the fears, the anxieties, the excitement that they're bringing to campus when they arrive, uh, they want to be able to share those uh, yeah. before arriving with another student and get the real deal about what's going to happen, right? Um, and they can, just like your sister. They can through their peer network. Um, and there's the opportunity for institutions to be able to provide that at scale to all students who may or may not be able to rely on that peer network. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the students, were, these were mostly juniors, seniors, mostly seniors. Who who, who kind of was uh, was, was the core responding group? Yeah, so we looked for 18-year-olds who okay. were either going through the process currently yep. or had just completed the process and just matriculated at an institution. Nice, nice. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I'm curious, in the context of the student survey, the student report, uh, what what were some of the more interesting data points um, that you all that you all sort of uh, un uncovered? Like, was there anything particularly I, we do we talked about you talked about authenticity and personalization. And I think that that's that seems to be kind of a, if there's if there's two things right that all those uh, conference presentations about Gen Z have said that has been consistent over the last you know five seven years it's been authenticity and, and personalization. So it's it's good to know that that generation is uh, at least consistent there. Um, but but anything else um, from from the report that was um, just stood out to you? Yeah, we can talk about a few of the interesting insights and tidbits. To me, um, you know, thinking about 
why students need that connection, that authenticity. They talked about, we asked them about their fears uh, and they talked a lot about, you know, what's driving their fears before they arrive on campus. Hmm. It was surprising to me that making new friends it was by far the biggest fear that students have before arriving on campus insofar as being three X greater of a fear than not being able to afford school. So um, first of all, hopefully that means we're getting more financial aid and scholarships and, and opportunities <laughs> for support to students that they feel confident on that piece, but making friends, finding your people, yeah, uh, being able to ensure that they will have a community around them that then sets them up for success. Because we know that uh, attrition in school um, is impacted by the community that surrounds you. And you need to find that community quick. Yeah, uh, You're not going to feel like you can survive on campus. So, um, you know, making friends above academic failure, above having to adapt to a new environment and being yeah. away from home for the first time uh, potentially making the wrong choice making friends was the big fear so that was really interesting to me um, another takeaway is that um, majors and courses were noted as more important to students than locations and career opportunities yeah. so whereas millennials may have wanted to understand you know how big and fancy is the gym facility and, <laughs> and you know uh, you know, what, 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 what am I going to be able to do in terms of extracurriculars? Gen Z got serious, mm. right? And they were like, you know, majors and courses are what I'm attending uh, school for. In many cases, they want to think about their course of study as an opportunity to get a direct path to their first job. Yeah. In you know, when when I was in school, that wasn't the case, right? You go to you go to higher ed to learn how to learn, as they say, and and the job will come. But Gen Z is much more focused on the employability outcomes. Um, and and perhaps, you know, rightfully so. Yeah. So that was really interesting to me. Um, another piece of really interesting uh, insight from the survey was that as much as we think about social media and other outlets as being great sources of information for students, the university website is still the first port of call for students to do their research, um, to be able to understand, you know, what that institution is all about, how much it's going to cost to yeah. be able to attend, what the courses of study are going to be, what's their major going to look like. Um, so, you know, they really want to be able to understand quickly from that website can I afford this institution? And do they offer the area of study that I'm interested in? Um, and then interestingly, it's something that I tell my team, I think about our, our website, our yeah. Unibody website, as our welcome mat, mm. right? And similarly, students are seeing university websites as their welcome mat. And they want to get the good vibes. Otherwise, they're going to bounce. Yeah. And you have about eight seconds to be able to impress them with your good vibes. Um, and I think that's an opportunity for differentiation. We talk mm. a lot about that in marketing, right? What are our defensible differentiators? How do we stand apart? How do we get our value proposition across right away? You have eight seconds to do that with an 18-year-old today. As I was kind of perusing the report myself, the the friend component and the fear of like relationships and and wondering if I if I'm going to find my people being three times greater than you know can I afford this that to me was like one of the most jarring statistics if not the most jarring of of statistics the first thought that popped in my head was like it does does this have anything to do with the pandemic like you know is there any 
were, were students like maybe their juniors and senior years were kind of disrupted, maybe depending on kind of where you were in the country, maybe mom and dad were really, really strict and you weren't allowed to see any of your friends. Like, is any of this an outcome of just like being isolated or, or you know, um, distant, if you will, over the last couple of years, or is this like kind of like a broader generational trend? So I don't know if like you guys talked about that or if you, you know, have anything that supports that theory one way or, or disproves it. But um, that was a thought that came to my head. No, really great thought. And I'm happy to wax poetic here with you about that. <laughs> I do think that high schoolers missed out yeah. on pivotal years. You know, I always say, you know, I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old, which was the perfect ages mm. to have kids go through the pandemic. They were old enough that I didn't need to watch them every second yeah. of every day, <laughs> but young enough that they're going to be able to bounce back. Yeah, they'll be it fine. Yeah. The school and especially the high school students that you feel so much empathy yeah. for in terms of missing out on really formative social emotional experiences by being isolated from their peers. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think your second theory plays into that is that their peer group is more important than ever. Yeah. Students are more connected than ever. Um, you know, I was talking to a, a former faculty member who is saying, you know, students actually like group work in, yeah. in, in university these days. I mean, you would never hear that <laughs> 20 years ago, right? Uh, or maybe even 10 years ago. Yeah. But, you know, students thrive on that connection. And I think that they understand that the sum is greater than the individual parts and that that's a really critical part of their experience. And they want to make sure that they can achieve that. And I'd say from an institution standpoint, you see students transferring quite often because they didn't find their people. Yeah. They didn't find their community. And there's enough choice, especially in the US and Canada, to be able to say, hey, I can go to the institution down the street and potentially find that better fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I One of the things that always comes to mind whenever I hear conversations around around community and helping students find, you know, their, their people is I think a lot about sort of like, you know, camps or, or uh, student visit days, or I think even, even about like orientations and how, like, when you come to orientation for, for a lot of people that ends up being at least the group of friends, it's, you know, if, if not, if they don't stick with them throughout the next four years, like they stick with them for at least that first year as they kind of like find their footing. I wonder like what do marketers and admissions folks need to do to better facilitate that kind of experience as, as close to it as you can earlier on in, in that journey. And I know that that's one of the things that Unibuddy is does and is, is continuing to explore how to do better. Um, and, and I think like it, there, there's so much opportunity to nail that. And if you can nail, if you can nail the experience of helping people connect with friends and with peers that will might be their the best man or the you know uh, maid of honor at their wedding one day, like if you if you can nail those things, might be their co-founder for like a company, like if you can nail the connection as a, a college or university. That can act, and if you can develop a re reputation for like, oh hey, you you go to this school, the students here like have really solid friendships and real really strong. Forget about alumni network, we've got a super strong student network. I feel like there's a miss, there's a lot of opportunity for schools to become known as the place where connection happens, and I don't see that as like a value proposition or like a differentiator that's at least clearly uh, or effectively communicated on college or university websites. Like, where's the you know, find your co-founder here, right? Or, you know, kind of kind of like slogan, right? And I think that there's, um, especially for this particular generation that cares, you know, arguably even more about connection and friendships than maybe millennials did. I wonder if that's an opportunity for schools. 
Oh, absolutely. I think you're on to something there and and could make money off that advice for sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, I guess taking a step back uh, just to be able to uh, send some empathy towards administrators right now, Yeah, you know, never before has the crunch on resources been stronger, yeah. Uh, yeah. more felt uh, then post pandemic uh, with budgets kind of slashed and teams thin and yet the demand from Gen Z students to um, be handheld through the process in a yeah. good way, you know, and have that personalization, have those authentic connections and, and really be able to get that authentic feel for the institution. That is tough, right? Yeah. It is. I always say it's easy enough for, you know, an, a recruiter or an admissions professional to connect a student from Nigeria with another student from Nigeria um, that that already goes to the institution. But if you are trying to scale that to yeah. hundreds of thousands of students who want to be able to connect with someone from the region they're from, or from the course of study that they're interested in, yeah. or from you know some of the challenges that they're facing, perhaps from a mental health perspective, from a DEI perspective, yeah. or yeah. in the case that I think should be for everyone going to school, find someone that is totally different from you mm. and connect with them. If you're having to do that at scale, it is an impossible feat yeah. without the support of technology that allows those connections to be made in a much more frictionless way. Yeah, yeah, no, so, so well said. And yeah, I feel like sometimes when we talk about ideas or just why don't people just do that? It can come across as like trite or like rude or like, you don't think I thought about that, Zach? I thought about that for 10 years ago. Like I've been trying for 10 years to get this freaking like headline changed on this landing page um, or, or what have you. But the other point about the website, I wanted to come back to that because I do think marketing teams more, more, more so today than ever before own the website and or have significant control over the website, which is great because even five years ago, this wasn't the case. Um, one of the things that... I, I love that. I love that stat that you brought up is like, this is still like the, the place where people where prospective students go to find information that's crucial to their to their college decision. And I think sometimes the temptation for marketing teams is like, all right, we got to we got to do all this stuff on social, we have to be super active, like on, you know, every channel, uh, we've got to be incredibly responsive on every channel. And, and I, like, to a certain extent, sure you do. I, I feel like there is a, there's under, and when I talk to VPs of marketing and CMOs on, on this podcast a lot, one of the things I hear is there, there's, um, there's obviously way more choice than ever before on where to spend time. I actually think it's maybe a hot take, but more time should be spent on the actual website. Like having more dedicated marketers to be able to run like tests on the website like a b tests on like uh, the copy the headline of this landing page or like on your event your open house registration page or something like that like giving people the bandwidth right and this is again hard in higher ed like what is bandwidth is what some people yeah. are thinking <laughs> but like if, if you could you know post three times less you know <laughs> a day and use that time to, to a b test copy on a particular page or or test a new image or whatnot I feel like a lot of marketers, a lot of like the best marketers that I know, they love to test, but they never get the time to do it or they never feel like they have the time to do it. And per the data you just suggested, like, hey, the website is an owned property. You should have access to it. If you don't, that's another problem that you need to get solved. But what if you, instead of trying to come up with a brilliant new story on Instagram, what if you took that time, 
and tried to spend it ab testing on the on the website where most prospects are going anyways what what would happen like would 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 you yield better results i don't know but it might be worth a test I, I love it. Um, and I think you you channeled our uh, demand gen lead, Matt Latanzio at Unibuddy, who ah. probably also feels that he does not get enough time to experiment because imagine what you can experiment on. It's not just the, the headline, right? Yeah. But it's also the messaging, the copy, the creative, the, the calls to action, right? And, and bringing different aspects of your university to the forefront. Hmm. Um, you know, for example, our customers who use Unibuddy, they use it in very different ways. The opportunity to chat with a student, they may put on some of their course pages, right? Or their majors pages or their department pages. There are other institutions that have decided to put it right there on the homepage as the major kind of inroad to mm. the institution from the get-go, right? Um, and, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. You have to test with your own market, as you well know. But I do think that some of that out-of-the-box thinking happens when you're willing to experiment, right? So the marketer goes and talks to the recruiter who's yeah. just finished a stint on the road, you know, has visited... 83 different high schools has some insight about what Gen Z is looking for and what's top of mind. What's that common question you got from every single Q&A session? Mm. You know, what was that topic that maybe we're not doing justice to that's like coming to the forefront over and over again? Test for it. Yeah. Test for it. My team gets tired of me saying, <laughs> you don't have to have an answer. Just test just it. Test. I love that. I love that, Nina. Uh, quick, quick idea too that just popped into my head on that front. I think one of the uh, a, a cool experiment. I'm sure there are people that have done this already. Um, but is when you're, especially for you, you like road warriors who are tuning in here, it'd be really fun to like throw up your, um, your homepage or maybe like a, a highly trafficked page on your website when you're going and talking to students and have everybody in the room. This is just maybe a fun, like icebreaker to say, all right, I want you to write down an adjective to describe this thing. Right. And then have them read it off. And then you take that, you bring it back to your marketing team. It's like, Hey, this is what people like Gen Z, our prospects. So you just spent our school spent money sending me to this school to talk to these people, and this is what they're saying about our site. And hopefully, it's positive stuff. But you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some opportunity for learning there. I love that, and I love doing market research at every turn. The product <laughs> marketer in me is loving what you just said, but it's it also speaks to how. Uh, marketing teams at higher ed institutions are choosing the agencies that they work with. Mm. If they're working with an agency that's developing their website, you know, you can go with the agency that knows how to do a website inside out, but maybe doesn't have higher ed, you know, depth of, of knowledge, or you could also choose to go with, you know, the Gen Z agency, you know, that really understands might push you a little bit to be able to um, just push the envelope a little bit on the messaging that you're using, the creative that you're using. Uh, but wouldn't it be great to start to see some institutional websites that push the envelope yeah. a little bit, you know, um, and let that authentic voice shine through. Take a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you could carry that over to, you know, the other concern that you just addressed here around financial transparency, students wanting to understand, Hey, what is it actually going to cost as quickly as possible? Um, you know, for me to go here, I think what's, what's so hard for, you know, the, folks tuning in is like, well, again, our sticker price is one thing, but the actual, you know, price that most students pay is a totally different number. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that people just hold uh, very, very close. I do think we're evolving into a place where like 
that transparency is going to have to i mean you've got net price calculators those aren't new things but i think that there's going to be this uh revolution at least for the more progressive institutions to be like super upfront. i'm still waiting for the day where i find like a landing page where it's like all right our sticker price is this here's why we put this on the website to begin with in one sentence right um most students actually pay this and here's why it like and, and literally just in like the most basic simple 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 language helping communicate like what a student who's never thought about the cost of college before why they shouldn't freak out if they really love your school but they see forty seven thousand dollars a year or whatever why it might not why why it might not actually and probably won't actually be forty seven thousand dollars a year and I just feel like there, there is so much opportunity to be like a differentiator with respect to just how you communicate cost to prospects. And there aren't enough great examples that we can all pull from to point to. And that presents an opportunity in my mind. I think that's a terrific example of where context is really helpful mm. for where there's so much asymmetry of information. This is this is hopefully the only time that they're going to go through this journey of finding, you know, the right undergraduate institution for them. And the trick for marketers is figuring out what kind of context am I going to provide up front so I don't lose them yeah. at this very critical juncture versus what's context that can unfold over the course of the journey, right? Yeah. Uh, it's tricky. You got to test for it. <laughs> yeah. You got to test. You got to test. Nina, I, I'm curious, what, um, what did you find most jarring about these these insights that were that were garnered from the report? Or if jarring is too strong of a word, just uh, you know, what what surprised you the most? Yeah, there was one sort of confusing, uh, kind of confounding, I will say, fi uh, finding an insight. So you know, we asked two questions. We asked, what's the most ineffective outreach method used by universities, hmm. according to students? And then we asked. What's the most authentic way for institutions to engage with you prospective students? And so the answer to the first question was email. Okay. Most ineffective outreach method. The answer to the most authentic way to engage with prospective students was email. <laughs> We're sitting there like, wait, what? Did we ask this question incorrectly? Like, was this bad methodology and was the instrument flawed? And then we realized, even as we started to do the cross-tab analysis, to be able to even break it down where there were still no trends. And you could still see that email was considered both the most ineffective and the most authentic. The key there is it doesn't matter how you're reaching them as long as you're reaching them in a personalized and authentic way. Um, and that goes a long way to say where your resource allocation should be, hmm. you know, rather than spreading yourself omnichannel, trying to meet them exactly where they are, focus on your message. Um, I mean, I'm a product marketer at heart, so I'm a little bit biased, but <laughs> the message matters. Um, and that was a really, really interesting insight and, and perhaps helps allay some concerns about, you know, what is that right channel? Do we need to have our TikTok strategy in place? And, you know, do we need to be on Be Real to be able to reach these students? Yeah. No, you just gotta have the right message. <laughs> oh, so well said. I also just wonder too, if it's like email is one of those channels where you actually do have a lot of real estate to communicate context, right? And a, a lot of real estate to communicate like authenticity and transparency, meaning, you can kind of pick how many images and how much text like you're not, there's no character count really, you know, like, and I, I wonder if that has something to do with it too, of like, Hey, you know, um, 
this 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 actually does give you the space to tell your story. I don't know, but yeah, it's super interesting. <laughs> I think you're right. And I mean, what do we talk about as marketers? Video is, you know, yeah. the new text. Yeah. So you can embed video. You can provide the context that you want to be able to provide in in a short little email message, as long as you're not droning on and, <laughs> and losing their their attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Um, I, I'm curious, Nina, as, as you and the team have uh, analyzed this data and thought a little bit more about like, okay, what, what does all of this mean? Um, what sort of uh, analysis, uh, or after your analysis, what sort of advice would you would you give to higher ed marketers and admissions professionals on, on kind of like what they should do in the short term, the medium term, and maybe like the longer term in light of some of these these findings? Any any ideas? Any sort of like helpful like tidbits of? I really hope folks walk away with this after they have a chance to digest the report. I think a lot of what we've been talking about at Unibuddy is that the journey for students is more complex than ever. We are throwing a whole bunch of information at them in very different ways. Mm. As you go from institution to institution, there is no sort of clear cut path to really being under, be able to understand how that institution is going to feel once they're on campus. And and it's, it's a lot of anxiety that's being created through this process, a lot of confusion, not clear on what the next best step is that I should take. And I mean, that's for those of us who've had parents who have gone through the process before and parents who are engaged in the process, let alone you start thinking about first generation college students. Yeah, yeah. They're always on my mind. It's such a complex, difficult process to navigate. And, it, and, you know, doesn't lead to equitable outcomes if you start thinking about it from the very first moment of exploration, even let alone when you arrive on campus. And so I think that what institutions need to focus on is how do we support moving students, compelling and propelling them through the journey in a way that helps them get that authenticity along the way. So short term, yeah, it may sound a bit trite. It may sound um, oversimplified, but you got to personalize wherever you can, yeah. right? So um, a customer was telling me the other day, you know, I don't give them the generic info at email address. I give them my email. And I know that I can send it to my team to be able to triage. But at the end of the day, there's a human that yeah. they're reaching making that human connection, which I loved. Yeah. Um, you know, how can you bring your student voice to the forefront, right? So use the authenticity that is at your fingertips in terms of the hundreds, potentially thousands of students that are willing to put up their hand and say, yeah, I'll answer questions. I was in their shoes a year ago. I was in their shoes three years ago. I know what that's like. And I am so much smarter, enlightened, um, aware, being on the other side of that decision-making yeah. process. So I want to share that, you know, um, it's like when you learn something, the best way to ensure that you're going to remember it is to be able to teach others, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, that's the gift that keeps on giving and the student vote, I mean, students are always willing to put up their hands, right? So, and many schools do have an ambassador program, which is fantastic, but figuring out how to leverage that ambassador program at scale, potentially through the use of a, a technology that allows you to be able to make those connections more frictionless 
Lee, is that a word? And, <laughs> and, and being able to bring that authenticity to the forefront, right? That just, that lends so much more credibility, yeah. I think, to, to, uh, to prospective students. And then I think long-term, it's all about investing and in getting to know your incoming class. It's those little bits of research insight that you were talking about getting, you know, anytime that you're having a conversation. I mean, I tell my team this all the time too. If we don't understand something, let's go talk to the market. Let's mm. go understand them deeply, right? And try to understand what are their attitudes, their motivations, behaviors. They are changing constantly for Gen Z. And then before you know it, Gen Alpha will be knocking at your institution's door and you'll have to adapt to them too, right? So um, I've got two down the hall that are coming <laughs> your way and they're going to be different than the students that you're dealing with today. So it's all about really understanding that market. I guess it all comes back to product marketing, Zach, at the end of the day. At the end of the day, <laughs> it all does. It all does. No, I, I love this. Um, this is this is super, super helpful. And I think, too, just one of the things that popped into my mind as you were talking about how quickly Gen Z changes and why it's important to talk to your incoming class is even just like like language, right? And like words and like, like you know, I, I think about sort of talking to my siblings and everyone's from there, you know, like I, I remember not knowing what like cringe was at first, right? And then like talking to them and understanding like, here's how you to actually use this in context. And I think like there's, there's just opportunity for higher ed to like be funnier and be quippier and just seem like you actually might have a, even though they know you probably don't, you might actually kind of maybe know what you're talking about. Uh, if in fact you're like, you know, willing to use a little bit of their language uh, in the context of your own communications. And especially when you're, you know, a marketing team that's like looking for, all right, what do we post on social? How do we be a little bit different? Like having that data that's very, very, very fresh from your people, from your ward, you know, road warriors who are on the road and garnering the stuff, being able to immediately take that and throw it in conflows, throw it in the emails, throw it in the texts. Um, that, you know, market research is going to take too long. You don't have the time, right? But you do have the time to do something simple like that. And be iterative, yeah, right? Like yeah. be willing to be willing to test, fail, learn, and keep going, right? That's that's modern marketing, um, and there isn't any reason that a higher ed institution can't 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 use that same playbook. Love it. Well, Nina, this has been this has been wonderful. Um, I'm excited for the next few episodes here. If you're just tuning in, this is episode one of a four episode series that we're doing with our friends over at Unibuddy. Um, if you if this episode uh, was published a month or more ago, chances are the full series is complete. So if you scroll to down to the show notes, you can find all of the the other three episodes that are part of this special series. Nina, we'll also link if it's cool with you your social profiles down there, Unibody's website, all that fun stuff. So if folks who are listening today want to learn a little bit more about you, want to learn a little bit more about the things that your team is building. Uh, they'll be able to connect with you as well. Also, we will include links to the reports that we are going to be unpacking over this special series. So the student pulse report, the admin pulse report, those will all be linked in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time, Nina. It's been a privilege. Same here. Thanks so much, Zach. I'm looking forward to the next session. Hey all, Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. 
Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at Enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at Enrollify.org.